Welcome to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf. And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you for joining us today. We know you have a choice on the radio, and we appreciate you choosing our program. That we do. And as longtime listeners to the program realize, we move around from topic area to topic area each week. Sometimes we're talking about your health and wellness. Other times we're talking about your finances or your plan for where and how to live. Other times we're talking about your relationships, the challenges presented by our aging and the aging of our relatives, and about how we'll care for each other in the future. Sometimes we'll also talk about living a life of purpose and meaning. So I guess we do cover a lot of ground. And I guess you could say that our show topics fall into certain themes or categories that are appropriate for discussion at any time in the year. But we would be remiss not to check in on the major events of our time as they're occurring. And so you've heard our commentary and discussion on many of the volatile topics of the last several years, and especially the last year. We're interested in politics, but also realize there's a great deal of political commentary on this station already and through other channels. What perhaps interests us more is how politics and societal changes are affecting our interactions and relationships over time. I think a lot of people might say, Bob, that the last year in particular has us all reeling in a way from things we did not expect to see or hear or experience. That's for sure. Now, of course, how a society experiences major issues can vary enormously, right? There are demographic differences in the population. There are socioeconomic differences. There are cultural differences. There are certainly geographic differences and so on. But what's really changed uh, the dynamic of how we feel and think about whatever issues comes to mind is the media lens through which we experience those things and how media amplifies those issues. Yeah, so at one time, long ago, Bob, news traveled by Pony Express or the early settlers had major and minor newspapers available. And, you know, not everybody was even literate. Sometimes it was hard to gauge what the actions of the British or King George really meant when you lived like 500 miles away and the news of a decision or action didn't reach you for months, right? Yeah. Now, within seconds. Within seconds, right. It pops you up get a notification. Phone. Right. Something buzzes <laughs> on your phone. Right. And one of the examples of this is when uh, James Madison uh, was trying to get the nation's constitution authored. You know, we had the Articles of the Confederation kind of as our national document after the uh, Revolutionary War. Well, this is 1787, and he was having a hard time reaching these delegates from the states, mostly out of apathy. You want us to travel to Philadelphia in the middle of a hot summer to do what now? You know, and this went on for quite a while before he was able to get people to even come there. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, well, I guess the point I'm making is that everybody's kind of caught up in their own world. And so news was very relative. Maybe it concerned me, maybe it didn't. Nowadays, as you said, you get a buzz in your pocket, you open, you look at your phone, right? Yeah. Technology and travel also then changed in this country, meaning that we had this faster news, more frequent news options even for news. Do I want to hear it or don't I? You can press on notification, off notification. And while there was some editorial commentary, it was usually a separate function, like the editorial page. That was that page on the back page of the main section, right? The first section of the newspaper. Yep. And then the op-ed was the other opinions. Exactly. That's for all you youngsters out there who don't know what a newspaper is. Right. And, you know, and so then we were left to decipher the news and develop our own opinions. 
within the context of our families or maybe our experiences mm-hmm. in, in which these opinions or commentary were being presented. But then with the advent of the internet and social media, the relationship between the issues of the day and our personal opinions changed, and our ability to share our thoughts and feelings with family, friends, and the world changed. Now, everybody can have an opinion. Everybody's got their own editorial page. And those near and far can know about it immediately. If we're connected to them and, you know, whatever we say interests them in their lives, it pops up on their phone. We can also at the same time have extraordinary anonymity. If you've ever been out to see, you know, you've been on a bulletin board or one of these communities and so forth, and people have got made up names and they say anything they want. So if you're not of a very nice bent, you can uh, tweet verbal grenades with little consequence. You just say the nastiest thing you want and send it out there. At, at least some people can. Right. The, the major social media platforms, Bob, started out as a level playing field where all could be heard. But over time, they've instituted their own protections and restrictions for content based on these algorithms. Yes, obviously, this is so, but ultimately based on editorial. That is biased. And, and there are directives from managers somewhere, right? Right. And you, and you might have known that, say, in a newspaper, right? A newspaper could be biased one way or the other. And you mm-hmm. might know that, too. But the op-ed page usually allowed some representation of opposing viewpoints. Nowadays, people are becoming more and more concerned that only certain types of opinions are uh, are allowed. Uh, anyway, our point in bringing all this up today was that I think a lot of people have begun to feel that wherever you stood before on an issue, whether it was taxes, immigration, fracking, abortion, COVID-19 contagion, COVID-19 vaccinations, uh, crime, racial issues, gender issues, whatever it was, you may have uh, formed opinions or had some general feelings or inclinations at least, But it seems that our current culture and its symbiotic relationship with this 24-7 media and social media has intensified opinions. I think of it as like one of those lines back in math class. Wait a minute. I was told there would be no math today. This is is easy math. I'm thinking of that line with the arrows going in each direction with the hash lines marking the numbers or the integers. Zero is in the middle. Then you got plus one, plus two, plus three to one side, and then negative one, negative two, and so forth in the other direction. Did you just use the word integers, Bob? All right, maybe not integers. Maybe it's like a map. Mm, I was told there'd be no maps either. (laughs) All right, let's forget about the maps. But back on that line, if your opinion on something used to be near the so-called center, you know, at zero, meaning you probably didn't have a feeling about some issue one way or the other, right? Maybe you didn't care about taxation. Maybe you didn't care about immigration. But if you had a number, say a positive one, two, or three, or maybe you were on the other side of the issue and it was a minus one, two, or three, does it not feel as maybe your position on that line has moved out to a higher number? Gloria, you, no, Gloria, you don't need paper for this. Well, you said a line with hash marks I, and numbers. I, now, Bob, <laughs> need I remind you again, I'm a visual person. Visual. Okay, I get what you're saying. You don't need paper. I think. Wait, is this a pass-fail, by the way, today? I'll let you know. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is that over the last several years, it seems if you felt one way about a particular issue, that it's more likely that your feelings about that issue have intensified rather than moved toward an opposite position. Bingo. Like on a map, if you find out you're going the wrong way. Right. Let's say you were driving to Columbus and, you know, now you're speeding towards Columbus. I'd say that's probably true. It's almost like with news always around us and a lot of crises and a lot of pressure on the way we used to live. 
that it's made us think harder about where we stand on a bunch of stuff. Like, give me an example. Well, there's probably always been scandals and harassment in the entertainment business. But the Harvey Weinstein mess and the Me Too movement shined a lot of light on a lot of, well, no pun intended, bad actors and their victims. It raised consciousness and probably led a lot of people to think about their own environments. While they might have vaguely had knowledge about sexual harassment issues, their feelings about that issue probably intensified with all the coverage of that movement, I think. I would agree. You could also certainly say the same about policing and racial justice. No matter what your knowledge of statistics, you know, for crime and all that, uh, or policing strategies and cultural issues and crime might have been, say, 10 years ago. Ever since Ferguson, Missouri, and of course, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, and since the George Floyd event last summer, feelings have definitely intensified all over that issue. I think people might be hard-pressed to say there is a lot more understanding and crossing over to the opposite opinion today. I think people have probably moved more into their camps on that, right? So events happen. We've had pandemics. Elections happen, of course, right? Some of these things affect us very personally, like if we lost a job or worse, a loved one during COVID. Many times news and any adjacent clashing of the issues, though, is remote from us. Maybe we watch news coverage of some march in Washington, right, to raise awareness. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we watch on TV the unrest in Portland, but we mostly go about our business. And yet, because of what's happened in social media, which we'll talk more about shortly, and the intensity of all of these stories this past year, it's almost like you feel you've got to have an opinion on this or that. If it comes up, you got to be ready to talk about it. So much of this news is right up in our faces through, through uh, you know, regular news programs, through late night comedy shows, through Twitter and Facebook and more. Yeah. And while it's probably impossible to have well thought out and well articulated opinions on most of the major issues of the day, not I everybody think, Bob. Can, yeah, not everybody can do right. that. Right. But I, I would agree that there's greater tension or polarization that has crept into our relationships for sure. Because so much has occurred this past year, it's called on us to question where we are relative to what we're seeing and hearing, mm -hmm. right? And then naturally, some of these things are hard to avoid talking about or commenting or responding to in our social circles. I mean, look at COVID, right? So it's like there isn't much small talk anymore. You had to have an opinion about Trump or Biden or about how we're responding to COVID or whether we think there is or is not systemic racism. Sooner or later, it seemed somebody was going to ask our opinion. Or you were going to stumble into it innocently enough. Maybe there right. was some small talk and then people go, mm. so what do you think of the what you want? You know, or, or maybe you're the opposite thing. You're saying, gosh, uh, there's so much news out here that is so white hot. I feel like I should talk about it, but I really shouldn't talk about it because I'm afraid of that person's you start reaction. To, yeah, you start to internally gauge the environment in which you're talking. And so you can either... If you're, it depends on the type of person you are. You pull back and you say, mm, just not going to go there. I can tell this is a white hot, you know, situation. Or you share your opinion. Yeah, it's just something that I think we've sensed, you know, and oh, talked yeah. to other, other people who have sensed the same thing. So while you're mulling on whether that's happened to you in the last year or several years, uh, you know, in other words, have your opinions indeed intensified in our recent cultural climate, we're also going to talk about uh, how social media works uh, to bring us together, but also to drive us apart. Next, we're going to talk about one major development that is 
driving continued polarization in our society, and that is the cancel culture. So please stay with us. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We're talking today about polarization, uh, extremism. Do you feel it in your own life? Do you feel that you've had to kind of walk on eggshells more and more around people? You can't talk about certain things. And uh, part of that, we think, is being driven by social media. Part of it is the fact that we're just in this soup of news that's immediate, um, but that everybody feels like they have to have an opinion. Have you sensed that a little bit? Yes, I have definitely. And I know that I've also um, somewhat changed my reactions to people's comments. I'm quieter than I used to be because I just figure it's just not worth it. People get too worked up. Yeah, it, I, yeah. I don't want to lose my friends, right? It's not worth it. So one of the, the theories that we're kind of, uh, you know, mulling over here is when you have extremes that exist in a culture, when you have things that are pulling and creating some of that polarization, it moves everybody one way down the line or the other. Mm-hmm. And so, the you know, we've talked about this intensifying of opinions, right? Maybe you didn't care about something before, but now you care more. Well, one of the things that we think is pulling things in a direction is cancel culture. If you've heard anything about that, there's been a lot of of that in the news in the last few years. Why don't we talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so the cancel culture mob knows a few limitations. Now, while social media has empowered people to speak their minds, it has also empowered the masses to attempt to cancel those who express controversial opinions. So victims of cancel culture often end up jobless, friendless, and helpless. Those engaging in canceling people, however, gain nothing but empty satisfaction. In a cancel culture, everyone loses the ability to understand differing perspectives, making echo chambers and their disastrous consequences inevitable. So what is cancel culture? Well, cancel culture has been described as accountability by its proponents, but that's not really a fair assessment of the whole phenomenon. Cancel culture, if it implied accountability, then there would be some avenue for people to have redemption. That's normally how accountability works, right? You call somebody on the carpet, but you give them an opportunity. When the mob controls things, when people rally around some issue or some person they want to cancel, there's no means where that person can regain respect. In the research paper, Does Apologizing Work? An Empirical Test of the Conventional Wisdom, Richard Hanania of Columbia University shows that public apologies typically have no effect or make the mob want the offender to be punished even more. In other words, cancel culture is really not about accountability. Jeff Deist, president of the Mises Institute, provides a great definition. Cancel culture means shutting people out of jobs, opportunities, platforms, and social settings, attempting to impoverish people financially and otherwise. The point of cancel culture rests in the name, eliminating thought criminals from polite society. If the mob cannot control what you say, they will attempt to control your ability to function in society. Now, to put it in another way, cancel culture is the necessary tactic the mob adopts when the conventional tactics of political correctness fails. And that's where the research pointed here. Uh, Jeff Deist uh, defined political correctness as the conscious design manipulation of language 
intended to change the way people speak, write, think, feel, and act in the furtherance of some agenda. The goal of PC is to shape modern humanity into something that goes against our nature. It destroys individualism and, and distinct communities and replaces our nature with mob-imposed values. And it's not about good manners, it's about control. And the point he makes here, as we go to the news, is that when PC came about, people kind of bristled a little bit, saying, what's all this, what's going on with all of this, this new language and ways of talking about things? But when that did not achieve its desired effect, people then moved to this next level of extremism called cancel culture. And we'll be back with more uh, on that and other topics related to polarization right after the news. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking today about polarization in the society. And on the one level, it seems like some people have gotten uh, feeling that they're personally polarized. They've become more extreme in their opinions and, and we've made the argument that part of that is just relentless exposure to news and to social media, which kind of makes you feel like, well, what do I think about this? And, you know, if, if I'm asked, how do I respond to this, right? Right. It seems we've been inundated with a lot of controversial issues. Yeah. So you have to have an opinion about this, 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 this. Right. And whether or not you share that is sometimes uh, a question of who you're with. But I think part of the point we're making is that we're getting a little bit uneasy about how you share opinions with people because everything seems so extreme. Right. And and violent, you know, I mean, everything seems to, you know, a fight will break out if, you know, somebody doesn't agree or let's make our point by being riotous. It'll be like Thanksgiving dinner all year. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a little family joke. Okay. So we talked about one of the forces that seems to be pulling in the direction of this polarity and it was cancel culture. We were talking about that before the news. And uh, why don't we talk more about the consequences of cancel culture? Yeah, so cancel culture not only harms individuals who fall in the mob's crosshair, it harms all of society. Now, when you hold a view that the PC mob may disagree with, the herd psychology of the canceler imposes fear upon your psyche. Now, because of this fear, you either don't express your opinion or you only express your opinion around people you know that will agree with you. Yeah. In other words, cancel culture curbs public discourse and creates echo chambers. A 1996 MIT study prophetically predicted that the internet would lead to more echo chambers, areas of conversation in which no differing views are expressed. This study indicated that echo chambers lead to increased radicalization and decreased understanding of the other side. In a study on links between echo chambers, radicalism, and violence, the publication Nature Research indicates that such an atmosphere is a breeding ground for violence, like you said before. People internalize their beliefs, and rather than you believing in your politics, you become your politics. Mm. If someone disagrees with your perspective, they do so with ill will, according to PC culture. Society confirms this grim prediction as people become more hostile about their politics. 
Radical organizations like Antifa and other groups engage in violence against their political opponents. There's no discussion, right? I'm going to trash this thing and burn this thing down. Right. To lay it bare, politics drops its pretenses and exposes itself as the violent struggle it truly is. Okay, so we're sharing some ideas there from uh, an article called Cancel Culture, Its Causes and Its Consequences. Where can people find that? At theadvocates.org. Good article. Uh, it gives you at least some basic information about how cancel culture mm-hmm. works. Now, one of the things that was said in the course of that was we talked about this idea of echo chambers, right? Another phrase that seems a little bit uh, odd to the ear when you first hear it. But there's another article from Scientific American, and it's by an author named Damon Centola, who puts some of this uh, stuff in context with uh, something that's very familiar for a lot of people. And you, you've laughed yeah, and you he, saw this. He writes every time I log onto Facebook. He braces himself. He says his news feed, like everyone else's that he knows, is filled with friends, relatives, and acquaintances arguing, arguing about COVID-19, masks, and Trump. Facebook has become a battleground among partisan echo chambers. But what is it about social media that makes people so polarized? And it's so true, Bob. Every time I log on to Facebook, I just know that there's going to be certain people that are just having to make their point. And they know it's going to fire people up. And yeah, it used to be you could go on Facebook and do a lot of personal sharing about photos or, hey, that picnic we all went to or whatever. That's but what now, I like Facebook A lot of people, or, or she send a recipe, right? Is a recipe political? I, yeah, I almost I got banned so. by some people for send, for sharing too many of those. Because oh. I didn't know how to save them. So I just shared okay. them. and then yeah, So, so you were just a technical idiot. But mm-hmm. that's okay. It's all right. They've forgiven yeah. you. But yeah. nowadays it's for people to put up some kind of a, a bulletin board about their political beliefs. Yes. So yes. this is what this uh, Damon Santola was talking about. And he wanted to do an experiment that said, what is it about social media that makes people so polarized? Right. So to find out, my colleagues and I ran a social media experiment, he says, in which we divided Democrats and Republicans into echo chambers or small groups whose members affiliate with just one political party. Next, we picked the most polarizing issues we could think of, immigration, gun control, and unemployment. Now he continues to say, we asked each participant what they thought of those issues and then let people talk to each other and revise their opinions. After several rounds of discussion and revision, he says, we evaluated each group's viewpoint. He says, to our surprise, the echo chambers did not make people more polarized, but actually less. After interacting in social networks with like-minded peers, each echo chamber, Republican and Democrat, had adopted a more moderate opinion. All groups independently moved toward opinions that were closer to the opinions on the opposite side of the political spectrum. Which the researchers uh, in his group found very interesting. Normally, you would think that the echo chambers made people more extreme, because that's what we've been talking about here in the show so far. So he said, well, what's going on in social media uh, that's that's creating this this difference than what he experienced when they did this research with real live human beings in a room. Right. And he said the answer lies in something social media has amplified, which is the role of the influencer. By now, most of us have fairly specific understanding of what an influencer is. The word conjures up a young, wealthy person whose lifestyle is sponsored by brands like Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube. I mean, just think about people like uh, uh, the Kardashians or Kylie Jenner mm. or people like that. But you could also think about 
people like Trump, right, who had an enormous audience in social media. Or whether it be conservative or liberal news talk, right? There's people in each of those camps that are influencers. Right. But the word has very specific network science meaning. In social media, networks tend to be centralized. A small number of people, or perhaps just one person, is at the center of the network and is connected to lots of other people on the periphery. Not everybody's equal, right? Uh, the multitudes in the periphery of the social network have only a modest number of connections, while the few, the so-called influencers at the center of the network, are connected to nearly everyone. Think about how disparate it is, right? You might know 10 friends or 50 or 100 friends. Somebody else might have 4 million. <laughs> you see, it's a bit of a difference, right? Right. So right. it puts the influencers in a position of power. And they are able to exert disproportionate levels of influence over the group. By contrast, the networks used in our study were egalitarian, the opposite of centralized. In an egalitarian network, everyone has an equal number of contacts and therefore influence throughout the network. The key feature of an egalitarian network is that new ideas and opinions can emerge from anywhere in the community and spread to everyone. But in centralized networks, like many social media sites, the ideas are filtered through and sometimes even blocked by a powerful social influencer or by the social media platform itself. Yeah. So they have very different effects on partisan bias and the acceptance of new ideas. So in a centralized echo chamber, if the influencer at the middle shows even a small amount of partisan bias, it can become amplified throughout the entire group. But in egalitarian networks, ideas spread based on their quality, not on the person touting them. There's a lot of wisdom in network peripheries, all the regular folk out there, with good ideas. When the social network enables those people to talk with each other, new thinking that challenges a group's biases can take hold and spread. So, I mean, think about this in very practical terms. If you're in an environment, a lot of people maybe have done this through work, uh, and I'm not saying that all, all company meetings you know, are egalitarian in any way. Okay. I, I don't, I don't believe that's the case. Many meetings that I've been in seem to have the domino theory, right? The boss says one thing and hits the first domino and then everybody around the table says, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it goes all the way around. Okay. It's, it's not really anything about sharing ideas, but there are those opportunities where you sometimes do brainstorming. I call them think tanks. Think tanks if you want. Sure. And, and so when people can press the flesh and, and enjoy a beverage and talk and chat and so forth, more ideas come to the fore than they can in social media where somebody is putting out their comment, you know, to agree or to disagree with the it, influencer. Yeah, it's like an instantaneous, you have to either agree or disagree the way the comments come out on social media. You and, don't have the conversation or the, the, the chance to really think and listen Right. In a back and forth. And That's if, where if the wisdom somebody, lies. And if somebody is an influencer, well, mm -hmm. of course, they're thought to be more powerful, more important. But I want to say this, for instance, actual politics aside, liberal versus conservative, put that aside for the moment. Why does anybody in Hollywood have any more to say about an issue than you do? Right. Or than I do? They can read their literature. We can read stuff. We're not. And we can have a conversation. But because they're celebrities, right, they're, they're viewed as having a bigger, more important opinion. And that ripples through the social media network. You might also make the case that somebody who is a frequent poster, who's on a lot of people's, uh, you know, is, basically has a network around them, and they're constantly spewing out ideas, has a way of sort of setting the agenda for the group they're connected to. Right, absolutely. And I think that that's where then these regular people with good ideas, we tend to, I think, somewhat get 
Cowed is a good word, Excluded. right? Excluded. Yeah. And we miss out on so much, so much wisdom or good ideas or like I would call them think tank conversations. One, uh, one again, this is an example from a, from a historical thing. When they were doing the Constitution again, one of the points they made about Ben Franklin in that whole thing was because they were not getting where, where they needed to during the hot summer, you had all these people getting up and making these speeches about what they thought of, of this new piece of, of the uh, verbiage in the Constitution or this piece. And they were getting making these speeches in front of their peers, but they had to be very eloquent. It was their time to be on. So Ben Franklin said, you know what's going to work here? I need to have all these people over for dinner. <laughs> and so he was able to get them over with libations at his house in Philadelphia, <laughs> break into small little groups, much more casual, talk about things, go back and forth. And guess what? They made huge improvements uh, the following days. So the point they're making here is that, is that we, we need libations. We need Well, of course, we need libations. But the idea that social media is kind of a controlled pipeline. You are part of a network, but you're not equal to other people on that network. Right. That's kind of what comes about. So we're just kind of kicking around different ideas here that have led to this feeling of polarization. We'd love to know what you think. Write to us at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There's a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. And your opinion just doesn't matter. Okay? I'm going to cancel you. My opinion is more important than your opinion, Then you can cancel me. That's right. And this will be a very interesting show next week. Yeah, we just won't have one. (laughs) It'll be dead air. It'll be a day off. Welcome to There's a Season, and then it'll be dead air. I'm sure they will love that here at the station. Okay, so we've talked about polarization today. We've talked about uh, what social media does for us or, or to us. We've talked about cancel culture. Political um, correctness. We've talked political about Political correctness and so forth. There's some great uh, resources. One is that we've talked about before on the show. It's called ProCon.org. P-R-O-C-O-N.org. It's one of the more balanced sites I've seen out there where they've, ta- they've attempted to show people's positions in a very articulated, non-shouting way, <laughs> on one side and the other. Um, I know a lot of networks may claim to be unbiased, but I found that that website was pretty good for laying out the issues, in case you're ever interested in learning what somebody else thinks. Another one is allsides.com. And of course, you can write to us here. We can always give you the links to additional resources we've used on the program. Now, there was a couple of thoughts about how to respond to this polarization and to cancel culture. You had some things that we were going to share here from um, the site crosswalk.com. Yeah, and it's how should Christian Christians respond to this nowadays. So instead of unfriending someone you disagree with, let their post in your feed remind you just to pray for them. And I'm going to make it just a little harder. When you pray for them, don't just pray that God will change their mind. Ask God how he sees them. Ask God to help you love them like he loves them. Ask God to cancel your anger so you don't need to cancel your relationships. Ah. Now, cancel culture is tricky. Mm -hmm. And as Christians who are trying to love God and love our neighbors, we may find ourselves split in our reactions to it. Maybe you see cancel culture as necessary societal accountability that can usher in new leadership with greater strength of character. Maybe your friend laments that cancel culture doesn't offer the compassion they see in the life of Jesus. 
maybe each of you is carrying a piece of God's heart in this issue. And if you don't divide over your difference of opinion, you can learn from each other what it means to live like Jesus. Boy, if we all approach things from that perspective, it would be a very different world, wouldn't it? Right. Instead, it, it seems like so many people are either, it's like the powerful want to just simply, they're intoxicated with power. They're not about discussion. They want to ram through a certain idea or thought. And those without power tend to want to move to this cancel mentality. Well, we're going to totally destroy you personally because I have no other means of arguing with that. None of that, of course, is driven by something internal from the heart or certainly anything that's God-bound, right? Right, right. right. Well, we hope this uh, gave you some things to think about here today, uh, another one of our, our topics. <laughs> and uh, if you have any thoughts about this, write to us, Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. That'll do it for us today. We thank you very much for being here. Remember, dear friend, seek grace in every step and never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. For my dear friend and co-host, Gloria Shanahan, our producers, and everyone who makes the show possible, thanks for being here. You've been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.